0: Welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Vernon Beckford. Uh, Vernon is the CEO of Diversified Lending Solutions, uh, which is a capital advisory firm for small to medium sized real estate companies. Uh, Vernon has 15 years of expertise in investment management, debt and equity joint ventures, commercial mortgage origination, as well as distressed loan workout. Uh, in addition to his employment at companies such as Credit Suisse, he had made early stage investment in technology, operating businesses, as well as commercial real estate enterprises. Uh, Vernon, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Eric, great to be here.
0: Well, so tell us more about uh, Diversified Lending Solution and how you got involved with Diversified Lending Solution and kind of like how you got involved in the on the lending side of things in the first place.
1: Sure, sure. So uh, when I was in college uh, at Columbia University, I was looking at career paths. I was interested in banking and I ended up working at Credit Suisse as a burgeoning investment banker. And one of the things that really got me excited as I was hopping in throughout the bank was real estate. It was something that was tangible to me. It was something that I could see um, how the impact of financing a deal would actually um, uh, result in in some outcome, whether that be renovating a property or providing housing or providing you know quality um, uh, retail. And so it was exciting being in the middle of something that seemed to have such a big impact in terms of how people lived. And so as that evolved, and I learned more and more about the debt world, I started to really become intrigued by how much debt really does for lack of a better term, rule the world. And how many of these deals, no matter how big they were or small they were, were, debt played a major part in Mm. getting them done. And so the more I figured I could learn about debt, the more I could actually um, understand how, how big transactions got done. Now, one of the things about how that led us to eventually start Diversified Lending Solutions was You get really excited as a young professional. You're doing these mega deals that you see get uh, coverage in the Wall Street Journal and all these publications. And then you say to yourself, well, shoot, I should do a small deal on my own, right? And you go out to your friends and you try to cobble together some some resources to go do a small deal. And you realize very, very quickly that those resources that are just kind of there and are just a well-oiled machine for a big company that you were just working with and working for – are not really there for small businesses. Yeah. So in terms of figuring out, okay, how do I get a loan? How do I get approved for a loan? You know, Why is it so hard? How do I raise equity? All of these things can be really discouraging early on and get people on the path and off the path very quickly. So that's why we started Diversified in order to help folks scale from being that very small or even growing mid-sized company Yep. To a point where they can start playing and enjoying the same benefits of some of the big boys.
0: Okay, that sounds good. So what do you qualify as a, mid, a small to mid-sized real estate business?
1: So our sweet spot is really on... Um, Transactions in the one to $50 million range.
0: Okay.
1: And that's a big window, right? But the reason why it's so big is that we cover both residential and commercial investments. So you could very easily see a fix and flip or a single family rental deal that's half a million, a million, two million. But very quickly you can get in the commercial segment and before you know it you're into the 20 50 yeah. even 100 million dollar space
0: yeah it doesn't take very long to get there Yeah, that's for sure do you do uh do you do loans also on like a sing- individual single family rental or you would just do that as a portfolio with multiple properties
1: so we do both we do we do uh on a standalone basis mm-hmm. for uh fix and flip and single family rental properties and we also work with uh, larger owners of, of portfolios that are looking to to, to finance those as well.
0: Okay, okay that's good. Uh, so tell, tell me about kind of like debt, right? I mean, you mentioned debt and a lot of people are kind of like, oh, you know, debt is bad or debt is, in my opinion, I think if you have, uh, you also can have like very good debt that are really accelerating your returns. So what would you consider something that's, uh, that's a good debt, a bad debt? Uh, especially as we're entering in this situation, a lot of people are looking for credit. They're looking for loans for things. So what are some of the good loans that people should get into right now versus, um, you know, some, some of the bad loans they should avoid.
1: Sure. So when I think about good and bad debt, right. Specifically as it pertains to investment properties, bad debt in my mind is debt that does not enable you to grow. It handcuffs you. So Typically, bad debt would be working with a predatory lender, of course, number one, yeah. to taking out too much leverage where your loan is so large that you're really not giving yourself much mobility if something goes wrong, mm-hmm. or if there are aspects of the loans that I call little tricks or gotchas that if you trip a little wire or you know, if you don't really think about it or two years passes, certain aspects of the loan change and put you in a worse position. Mm-hmm. Those are all things you want to avoid um, for yeah. obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but but on, on the other side of it, debt can be incredibly liberating. I, I tell you why. We worked with a sponsor that started her business three years ago, and she, very industrious, went out and built a portfolio of about 500 multifamily units in, mm-hmm. in three years, which was impressive. She was looking to take down another asset of 500 units, a standalone property, and the deal was about $40 million, right? There was no way that she would have been able to purchase that asset had she not used debt. And mm-hmm. that was a really important tool for her uh, in order to be able to grow her business. Mm-hmm. And she didn't take out so much debt that she was putting herself up against the wall. Mm-hmm. So I would say for folks that are thinking about uh, using debt, but are hesitant, you're right to be hesitant, but but that doesn't mean that there isn't good debt out there. Mm-hmm. To your second part of your question about today's world as to what is good and what's bad, what we're really seeing is that lenders writ large are not really even giving you the chance to, to take, take out bad debt because they're being far more conservative in their lending. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so 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 everybody's scared. Get, everybody's scared. Um, whether we like it or not, we're we're kind of um, we're kind of being always pulled by whatever the the, the headlines are. Mm. And and lenders are no exception. And so what you're seeing is that across spectrum, whether it's a a debt fund, whether it's a bank, whether it's a securitization shop, they're all saying, okay, we don't want to be the the one to get caught, um, you know, making bad loans uh, when everyone is saying there's a recession on, on the way. And so if anything, the problem we're seeing is that borrowers who are looking to buy real estate are having a harder time doing it because they simply can't get as much debt as they want. Mm -hmm. And and that's a problem that I think, um, you know, they're going to experience as long as we continue to see the sustained increase in interest rates through the Fed, which Mm -hmm. I anticipate we will continue Mm -hmm. into 2023.
0: Yeah.
1: So, so um, that means that there are other ways to get deals funded. It doesn't mean just sit on your hands, but it does call on a, a level of creativity that we haven't really had to see for, mm-hmm. for for several years now.
0: Yeah, but not too creative, also, because I think some of the loans are, they're trying to be a little too creative, I think, and uh, to protect themselves and all that. And it's just like it's like you mentioned. I mean, some of these loans could be could ma- really put handcuffs on you. Um, you know, and, and I think one of them, for example, is, you know, adjustable rates. I mean, to me at this stage, I would avoid adjustable rate, uh, you know, unless you're okay, if the interest rate goes up to 20%, then okay, then you can, uh, you can do that. But uh, otherwise, I would say avoid, <laughs> avoid adjustable rate at this point.
1: Well, One of the things I'll say to, to kind of chime in on what you're saying is, uh, about a year ago or less than a year ago, when the when the winds of change were on the, on the horizon, mm-hmm. we started telling our clients, listen, it makes sense, even if it's not required under the loan docs, if you're getting a floating rate loan or adjustable rate loan, you should con- strongly consider either an interest rate cap
0: yeah. or
1: considering interest rate swap where you can essentially take that floating rate and, 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 and swap it for a fixed rate instrument uh, and pay the cost of doing that up front right? Yeah. Because it's going to pay off from the back end. No one wants to hear uh, why they should have to go in their pocket and pay more today. And so mm-hmm. a lot of folks said, eh, "You know, yeah, I, I know rates are going to go up, but um, don't want to spend the cost. Now, yeah. what we've seen is that many operators are looking back and saying, wow, it's felt expensive then uh, for the insurance policy, if you will, on, on, on my, my interest rate. But I wish I had done it today because now I'm in in a just a completely different environment uh, than I was before. And I don't have the luxury of doing that right now because the cost of those things is just through the roof. Yeah. Right? So, so so to your point. Um, you have to be a little bit thoughtful, um, not just in terms of getting your deal funded today, but how is that loan or how is that structure going to work for you you know, a year from now, two years yeah. from now?
0: Yeah, exactly. So in terms of the the term of the loan, so you, you get a, a loan, let's say for a, let's say it's a residential property or portfolio, you get a 30 year uh, amortization period. What kind of term would you, if you can't get, for some reason, you can't get a uh, 30 year term, uh, then you, so you can get a smaller term. What, what would you recommend in terms of term? Like, would you say like a, a five year, like a, five-year one or or a 10 or a 15, what would you your recommendation be?
1: It strongly depends on the strategy. So mm-hmm. clearly, if you're doing a fix and flip strategy, that's going to be usually a 12 to 18-month business plan. And then you're going to want to roll into permanent financing. The short-term cost of a fix and flip loan are going to on a headline basis, be feel high, right? They're going to yeah. be in the, the, the low double digits and you're going to pay two to three points uh, and you're probably going to go to a private lender. Uh, but the good thing is that if you actually can close that business plan relatively quickly, you're going to refinance into a much more affordable permanent loan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, what we saw was that, you know, a year ago, you could go and get on a single family rental project, 80%, you know, LTV. Yeah. In the force.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, on a 30 year um, am uh, and, and you'd feel great about it. Right. And mm-hmm. you can cash flow that asset and make yeah. money. Yeah. Now that business really has completely shifted and yeah. that money is in, in the sevens plus. Mm-hmm. And so really, you, if you're going to buy today, you're really going to do one of two things. You have to adjust your pricing to reflect the fact that the cost of debt has gone up. And, and that means you have to lower your – or you're making a bet that rates are going to come down um, sometime in the future, call it a year, two years out, such mm-hmm. that you you're okay absorbing what's known as the negative uh, R, meaning yeah. that you're actually paying out more in debt service than you're receiving in mm-hmm. income, which yeah. I wouldn't recommend as a general yeah. business plan, right, yeah. because you think that you're going to be able to rotate into cheaper debt down the road. Yeah. Really the only folks that are doing that are very, very well capitalized. They don't really yeah. need the debt and yeah. they have a very, very long-term horizon for the average investor. That's looking to buy a residential investment property. I don't think that that's a very effective strategy. Mm-hmm. And so it really comes down today into uh, being very um, thoughtful in your, in the price that you're going into buy assets. Yeah. And, and, and if, and if it can't cash flow unless you have a very, very strong view as to appreciation and why it makes sense to do that, you know, I'd be very cautious in, in stepping into that type of
0: yeah. range. So what I'm saying is also that the cash flow is kind of, as long as it cash flows even like pays for itself, yet yeah, it's not gonna cash flow as much as it was last year or the year before yeah. that, right? So, but as long as it pays for itself and there's a little bit of a residual amount, I think it's still, it's still a good time to to buy something because a lot of uh, a lot of companies are focused so much on and including me on cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, and we selected the market for cash flow. And uh, but cash flow is one aspect of the return. If you look at the overall return, the appreciation is also a significant, uh, even at a very low appreciation rate. Even if you say like three percent appreciation. Uh, which is the average over the last like 80 years. Mm-hmm. Um, even at that, I mean, it's still a very significant return on the overall, on your cash, on the cash that you invest on that property. So not to okay. be, uh, and in fact, it's actually bigger than the cash on cash return for the, uh, just for the net cash flow. Especially but- the
1: longer you hold the asset, right?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: So if you're looking at, let's say, one of the big opportunities that is is starting to really bear out is, think about the covid push where people have moved into markets that really have enjoyed massive population growth mm-hmm. and those home values just went through the roof. Yeah. And yeah. now guess what as rates go up there's far less buyers a because the the mortgage payment has gone up b because they qualify for less of a mortgage. And yeah. so guess what home builders right are starting to feel pressure because oh, yeah. if, if you're bringing inventory to the market right now you better have some incentive. You better uh, offer to buy down someone's interest rate. You better uh, make it at a compelling price. And so I think opportunistically, there are a lot of investors that should be looking in their homegrown markets and saying, okay, let's check in and see what the builders are are doing, because there's going to be a lot of pressure for them to, to move their units.
0: Yeah, exactly. And there's also like two groups of investors. I mean, there's a group of investors that they already started investing. Like, you know, if I'm a developer or if I'm a, an investor and I already bought my asset, you know, like last year and whatever, I'm in a different situation. That if I'm starting right now, my acquisition is going to be, criteria is going to be different because now I'm going to factor in, you know, a 7% interest rate. I'm going to look at the, the cash flow and I'm going to make different projections than, what i was looking at last year with you know 4 or 5% uh, not even like 3 or 3 or 4% interest on my mortgage and i was kind of like focused more on the cash flow so exactly. if you're getting started now i think it's you know you're fine to um to look at that and uh, and say so you just adjust your your investment criteria and it's still a very great environment to um you know to to invest today even at at, high, at what is considered like a lot of people are considered that high interest rate but if you take the average of the interest rate uh, the average interest rate since 1971 I mean the average was like seven and three quarters so we're exactly. below that
1: we're below that and guess what and guess what and when rates were that high people found a way to get transactions absolutely. done absolutely yeah
0: I mean I bought my house when in the 80s and it was like 13 percent or whatever So, Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, I survived and I didn't think it was that high for some reason, (laughs) (laughs) but it, it worked out because I was buying an asset. So I was buying an asset at a certain price. Yes. The interest rate was high, but then somehow the appreciation and everything else kind of worked their way. And, you know, I still made money on my investment and, uh, and the house that I had and just like, so it worked out, but it's just like, the timing of when you acquire, it's always a good time to acquire real estate. You just have to have the right criteria to, um, you know, to acquire Absolutely. that business. Mm-hmm. And then you have to look at your long-term horizon. And the Absolutely. other thing about, yeah. And the other thing too, about interest rate, you look at inflation, you're getting, your, you're paying 7% for your money, but the inflation is taking away like 7.7%.
1: So exactly.
0: It, so this is like, this is like a no brainer. You're getting yeah, money it's for free, free money. You're making one exactly. point just on that. Exactly.
1: You make money in real estate on the buy. And, and and that's something for your listeners always to remember. So as long as you're thoughtful going in um, that's really where you, where where you get the, the true you know opportunity for monetization. Yeah. So yeah. I completely, completely agree.
0: Yeah. The people that are hurting are really the people that uh, like, I'm really feel for the, the developers because, you know, they started developing, getting permitting and stuff like that. Get, they probably bought, uh, if they're trying to sell a house today, that means they bought the material and the, the labor last year or something like that. And at the highest point, remember, like when we exactly. had these supply chain issues exactly. and it, it was a nightmare. And now um, the interest rate was great then, but the house was not complete. Now the house is complete and int- interest rates are through the roof. And uh, you know, then they have to do bend over backwards to get rid of the house. And I think a lot of developers are going to lose money, even though they had a, they may have had a good margin margin last year. Exactly. But so that exactly. these are the people that, and these are the people we need to increase. Exactly, supply. <laughs> because, because, because
1: the, the to your point, the supply issue is, is structural and it needs to be yeah. overcome. And the only way we overcome it is we build a lot more, right? right. So.
0: Yeah, and there are very little incentives out there for people to go and build new stuff, uh, you know? So, and now this is gonna kill, I think a lot of uh, a lot of developers, um, you know, they just won't be able to sell their property. They're gonna sell their property at the loss, or they're gonna go, these are the people that might go into foreclosure and you're gonna Absolutely. be able to buy properties that are half finished and all that kind of stuff, so.
1: Absolutely. That said, you know, it's as 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 much as and I, I agree completely with you because we have clients that are in exactly that boat. No. Um, but but where we're optimistic is that there are enough positive factors in the economy today that, you know, if you look back to eight, uh, you know, and I was in I was in that market, you were in that market. Yeah, um, That was a bloodbath. I mean, it, it yeah. feels um, like we're, we're heading into softness and people are preparing, embracing themselves. But it to me doesn't feel like, oh, wait. So, you know, I think there are some trepidation. Sometimes people start to remove themselves and sit on the sidelines because they're bracing themselves for this uh, apocalyptic event. And and what I would say is that um, softness doesn't equal um, apocalyptic event. You know, the economy has to right size and that means it's going to improve, it's going to grow and it's going to contract. Yeah. and so that in of itself is not a reason to panic we just have to be mindful of of, 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 of what that actually means exactly
0: and this is why having a long-term uh, investment horizon I think is very very important you know the longer term you're the the more longer term you're thinking is you know these are just like bumps on the road um, that you're not really gonna pay attention to um because in the long run it's all gonna it's all gonna be better but uh whatever you buy today is going to be a higher value later on and then you know so you shouldn't be too worried about that but it's for the people that have short-term horizon like again like the developers or the people exactly. that are flipping you have to you know if you bought the house like and you're trying to flip this year and you bought the house last year these that these are going to be very tight uh negotiations i think and uh tight margins So that's yeah. Sad Absolutely, for some people, especially in some markets. I know that you know, like Austin, for example, and mm-hmm. Phoenix. These are some of the markets that really are feeling the pain. Absolutely, and I'm looking at my market in Cleveland, and the houses are still going up. The rents are going down, but the houses are are going. The house prices are going up, so it's kind of like this is strange.
1: Mm-hmm. But, um,
0: mm-hmm. So yeah, so there's some mark, and I see a lot of changes also in the. Depending on the market, it really depends on the market. Some markets are crashing. Absolutely. Down, and then you have some other markets that are more stable, and so. so-
1: well, I think you know a lot of the the the, the markets that benefited the most from COVID, um, yeah. in in many instances, are now the ones that, in some cases, are struggling most. Right, which is a little bit. Uh, and so to your point, you know, Cleveland has always been a market that has, you know, it hasn't necessarily enjoyed the massive booms during boom times. That's right. um, it also hasn't, you know, cratered during during bad times. So, you know, you got to think when you're when you're looking at markets, Phoenix has historically been a boom and bust market. Right. Definitely. So you know, when, when investors are, are looking at where they want to invest, you really have to be mindful of this so that. It may be a great time for you to be in Phoenix, but you just go in with your eyes wide open.
0: That's right, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, Cleveland boring market because no- nothing really moved that quickly in, in terms of the market, right? And and uh, so I'm all about boring markets. I think this is, uh, it's because I'm thinking long-term. I think, well, I'm fine with a 3% growth. Uh, I'm just, you know, and over time, this is gonna compound. It's an income producing asset. I don't have to worry about that. And uh, my tenant is paying my mortgage. Exactly. And also over time, my cash flow is gonna increase because I can, it's a landlord friendly state. So I can increase my rent to market. My mortgage stay the same, which is my biggest uh, expense item. Exactly. And then yes, my operating ex- the rest of my operating expenses are gonna go up slightly, but my cash flow over time is gonna increase. It may not exactly. be that good now, but it's going to increase in the future. Exactly. All these things are, yeah. And then when you look at things that exactly like you were mentioning, like Phoenix, these are the boom bust kind of market. It's very exciting. When it goes, it goes. <laughs> and, oh, my God. I, think I yeah. But when it goes down, too, it's also, um, if you don't enjoy uh, the roller coaster ride, it's going to be painful. You're going to be passing out on the way down.
1: Exactly. Oh. Exactly. Exa- exa- <laughs> exactly
0: <laughs> so yeah so this is uh um, these are exciting times that's for sure uh good or bad i think but um, there are still opportunities out there for people if some people are on the sideline so what any recommendations for them to should they, should they continue to be on the sideline you think or should they start investing looking at the existing environment and kind of like projecting a little bit kind of where do you think the the economy is going to go and the rates are going to go
1: sure so on the sideline question i would say first of all if you if you resign yourself to sitting on the sideline then you're not going to be ready when the opportunity emerges right so i think just from a mentality perspective it's not a hey let me just remove myself from the market um to where i see a lot of opportunity now is to your point there are many operators that went out with business plans a year ago, two years ago, um, both in residential, also in multifamily. Think about how many value-add multifamily operators are out there right now that took out a two-year bridge loan because they were going to turn around a property, and now they're at the end of that two years. They haven't hit their business plan, and they know they can't refinance um, their existing loan. So I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities like that um, to to, to really um, fund the gap. Mm-hmm. And so so for someone who's trying to be opportunistic in buying, there are many sources of, of those gap funding. It could be mezzanine debt, yeah. it could be preferred equity. There are all kind of uh, programs such as I would say CPACE, which is a program oriented around environmental um oh yeah, uh, yeah. energy and renovate with you put pens- new
0: windows that are more exactly. like uh, you know, or furnaces.
1: In a efficient water management programs where you can effectively get very affordable financing yeah. uh, that, that sits alongside your senior loan. Yeah. So there are all kinds of uh, tools. I, I would call them tools that are at people's disposals now to mm-hmm. actually cap, to fund their deals. Yeah. Um, and there are opportunities to step into deals, frankly, that need new capital because they're not going to be able to get refinanced. Yeah. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities, and it won't take very long. I think 2023 is going to be an exciting year in that regard.
0: Yeah. I hope. So. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I think the even though the inflation went down significantly last um, last month, uh, maybe that's going to force the Fed to kind of like, okay, well, they're going. To, I think they're going to continue to increase their uh, the rate, but maybe at not such a fast pace. And I think this is also gonna give time for the, the market to adjust. I think we the interest, the mortgage rate went up so quickly. Uh, I think the rest of the market didn't have time to adjust like the, the, the supply and demand on the real estate side and all that kind of stuff. And it also adds a lot of uncertainty when you don't know if the mortgage rate is gonna be a 1% higher next month, or if it's gonna be, you know, or if it's gonna be 2% or if it's gonna be the same or whatever. So there's a lot of uncertainty. I think it's one thing to know that if I know that the rate is going to be seven percent for the next six months, you know, it puts me in a mindset that okay, yeah, I know what I know pretty much what's going to happen. I can I can look for opportunities. I can do something with that. But if I know if I don't have no clue if it's going to be seven percent, eight percent, nine percent, eleven percent, it's like okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to wait. I'm going, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to lock it in now. Or, you know, so it changes your mindset. And Absolutely. I think the, that expectation is critical. It's kind of like set the expectation for, and, and we didn't have a chance to do that this year. I think people were, It's. it was uh, so much uncertainty that people kind of like they were rewriting their, their business plan every, every day. so, okay, well now. Exactly.
1: And, no. and so I couldn't agree more. So I think that that's why in my mind, um, the short term opportunity uh, is in deals that have a refinance event, right? Because those are the deals that don't have the luxury of, of just sitting and waiting and figuring it out. So regardless of whether or not there's uncertainty, if you have your loan coming due, uh, in three months, you're going to have to address that maturity one way or other. You're going to have to sell your property or you're going to have to refinance it. And so those are the transactions where people where they're forced into making decisions where I think some opportunities uh, will emerge. Uh, because you're right. If, if you have the, the, the dry powder and you have the luxury of, of saying, listen, I'm just going to wait till the world normalizes a little bit so that I can understand how to view the world. Most of us are, you know, your intuition would tell you, okay, let's not be hasty. Um, but but I think fortunately and unfortunately, depending on who you are, there's going to be a lot of deals coming for refinance over the next 12 months that don't have that luxury.
0: Yeah, exactly. And this is why I think the, the loans that you're getting, like always, should have the maximum flexibility for you. Um, so you have to have enough runway to in, in case something happens. So even if you know that, let's say you go into a multifamily project, and then you want to go, you need to, you want to do a value add and stuff like that. And you think, oh, it's going to be two years and stuff like that. Well, don't take a two-year bridge loan. Take a five-year bridge loan and then say, okay, well, exactly. if something goes wrong, blah, 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 then at least I have a little bit of a runway to to recover, right? Exactly. So I think it's something that's very important.
1: And I think what you touched on is so important because one of the things, so they're really kind of in our mind, when you're thinking about a loan, there are really four key steps, right? That, that really dictate your success in the process. First of all, uh, it's what we call litmus testing. You, you have to be able to evaluate your deal and figure out how will lenders actually look at it? Will they find it attractive or not? And do that on an objective basis. We all f- fall in love with our, our own deals, but, but from a point of a lender who's making you a loan, how will they look at it, right? The second step of that is, what I would call objection smoothing. What are the issues that a lender will have? And there'll be many in this market because every credit committee is gonna scrutinize a deal even stronger. What are the objections that I can address upfront to make it easier for a loan officer to, to walk that into their credit committee and say, in this world where we're being super conservative and cautious, this is the deal that we still wanna fund. The, the third part of that is what I would call, and, and that's what you were speaking to is loan de-risking. Once you have a lender that has said, I'm interested in your deal, and let's say offers you that two-year bridge loan, well, loan de-risking would be saying, hey, I think my business plan is two years, but I'm going to bake in extension options into my loan. And even if I have to pay a point per extension, because I know that's going to buy me time, because I know in this market, it may take me longer, or or anything around uh, offering personal recourse, right? You know, let me negotiate to a partial recourse or to non-recourse if I can give them something. In the, or to your point earlier in the conversation about setting yourself up trip wires, financial disclosures. Am I gonna have to be spending all day and night putting together paperwork to show the lender to meet financial disclosure requirements? Let's make those reasonable so I can focus on my business plan. All of those things are de-risking your, your loans so that you have the, 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 the max potential to execute well on your business plan. And then the fourth of that, which I think a lot of people forget is what I call fact filtering. You wanna be honest, you wanna be transparent with your lender, but you don't wanna overwhelm them or give them a muddy picture that will actually paint your deal in the wrong light. I've had many clients that decided to just overshare, provide the wrong info, provide what was not asked for, gave someone the exact opposite of what they asked for, and then it just created confusion. And yeah. guess what? That means the process takes longer to close. It ends up in many cases, the lender comes back and wants to retrade you or offer you inferior terms because now they've been convinced the deal's not as attractive. Mm-hmm. And so, in concert, when you think about those four steps, I would say for any investor now looking to get a loan, look at your deals through that lens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think these are very good. Uh, these are very good steps, actually. That's kind of like looking at it and really thinking about how you're presenting that deal to your lender i mean this is uh you know because yeah i mean that's what they're looking at they're looking at funding your deal they kind of they're all they are like an investor uh and then they just you know so you want to make sure that you paint the right picture for them and provide the information that they need so that they can provide you the best the best loan possible Exactly. So that's, uh, this is excellent advice. So uh, so Vernon, if people want to reach out to you, uh, what's the best way for them to um, to reach out? Sure. So uh, vernon.beckford at
1: DLSloans.com. One mm-hmm. word, DLSloans. Visit our website at DLSloans.com. Yeah. And I'm always on LinkedIn. So feel free to DM me on LinkedIn. Uh, always willing to talk shop, talk a deal. If you have a deal that you're looking at, and um best places to reach me
0: yeah i mean it's a very interesting time for investors and for lenders too because things change like so uh so dramatically every day yeah
1: and one thing that that i want to emphasize eric and and this is largely from our experience there's so many other ways right that you can leverage debt so one of the things we've started to do just so that your your listeners know is we've started to fund earnest money deposit loans okay so Let's say your your uh, listener is going out. They're making a bunch of offers because they're excited, and yeah. they realize that one, two, or three of the offers get accepted, and they're going to have to put up deposits. Yeah. Well, maybe they don't want to clear out their bank account because they know they're going to raise money, or maybe they have money in another deal. There's some liquidity yeah. um, um, uh, issue they want to address. We can we can do that. One of the other things I would also say to some of your listeners who may be really building out and rounding out their team is that if they're looking for a key principle um, just to to sign on the loan guarantees. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And and for some of your listeners that may not know, when they go to the bank, even if it's a non-recourse loan, there'll be what are called recourse carve-outs where Mm -hmm. they'll have to be an individual to sign on the loan if if bad things happen, i.e. if someone dropped toxic waste at the site or someone committed fraud. So we're in a position where we can range and bring those to the table for uh, for, for your investors wow, awesome. and, and and to the extent as well that they're looking at um, growing their businesses, right? Debt wow. is great, but equity is, is important too. They should think about um, what I would call more programmatic relationships with private equity uh, uh, investors, mm-hmm. larger institutions that can write bigger checks. Yeah. And so for, for for some of your listeners that are getting to a point where they've gotten past that first rung on the ladder and they're saying, how do I turbocharge my growth? Yeah. Even though debt is our is, is what we focus on, there are opportunities to help them on that regard as well.
0: Okay, well, excellent. Well, you say so you're a very uh, well-rounded uh, kind of financing service absolutely okay that's great well vernon it was a pleasure speaking with you so i will have your uh, contact information in the show notes and then uh people hopefully people are reaching out to you and uh start investing or continue investing all right absolutely thank you so much eric
1: Thank you for listening to break away from the rat race with your host, Eric Martel. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at break away from the rat race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.